Jesus said, Man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. So Matthew chapter 16, remember Jesus says, who do you think that I am? To his disciples and Peter, right? I mean, Peter's like Babe Ruth. So he's always going to swing as hard as he can. So he's going to get the most home runs. You got it. You got it. Give him credit. And also the most strikeouts, right? Babe Ruth and, and Peter the apostle. Two peas and a pod in that regard. But this is one of the moments where Peter, he knocks it out of the park. Um, he says, you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that your name, Cephas, uh, that your name, Simon, will be Cephas, Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, not Peter, as, as Roman Catholicism teaches, but the rock being a true confession of the Christ, which you have just demonstrated by, the, by the, my Father who has revealed it. You could, flesh and blood doesn't do this. So Peter, you didn't do this on your own strength, but God sovereignly revealed to you my deity, that I am the Messiah, the Christ, that there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, the God-man Christ Jesus. And that revelation from the Father as a confession a profession of faith, that is the rock on which I will build my church. And then Jesus goes further and says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he says, I give you the keys. This is authoritative language. I give to you the keys. And now at this point, I would argue exegetically that, that Peter is standing in representative of the apostles. So Jesus now says, I'm giving you, being plural, the apostles, Peter representing this, I'm giving you, the apostles, the keys to the kingdom. The authority to do what? To bind on earth and it will be bound in heaven. To loose on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. Now here's what's so interesting. In Matthew 18, that's Matthew 16, but in Matthew 18, where we have the, the famous passage of church discipline, Jesus, all of a sudden, he, he transitions the subject from the apostles to the church. The ecclesia is the Greek word, the assembly, the gathering of the saints for worship. And, and, and what Jesus says is this. He uses the language, you know, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault privately between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he does not listen to you, then bring along one, uh, one or two witnesses so that, uh, or one or two others so that the testimony may be established in the presence of two or three witnesses. But if he does not listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he does not listen to the church, then hand him over. It's the same kind of language as Paul saying, hand them over to, to Satan, Hymenaeus and Alexander, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I have handed these men over to Satan that they might be taught not to blaspheme any longer. And Jesus says, then treat him as an outsider, a tax collector or a Gentile, which were both outsiders, outside of the people of God and thereby outside of the presence of God. But then the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, right after that church discipline passage, is this. He says... Whatever you bind on earth. So he doesn't specifically say in Matthew 18, I give you the keys. He says that in Matthew 16. But Matthew 16 with the apostles, I give you the keys, whatever you bind, whatever you lose. That's Matthew 16. Matthew 18, he now is not speaking to the apostles, but the church, the assembly of the saints. And he uses the same language. So it's implicit that the keys now belong to the church because he says he gives the authority and the responsibility to the church to do precisely what the keys do, which is, again, he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus goes one step further. In Matthew 18, he says, for wherever two or three 
are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Now, this is funny. It's peculiar because for New Testament Christians, and for all Christians for that matter, because we've all been saved by grace through faith in Christ, either looking forward as an Old Testament saint to the Christ or looking back as a New Testament saint to the, to the Christ. But, but for the Christian, for the Christian, our body is what? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Shall I take the members, the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? May it never be. Right? And so our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means what? Every single Christian has the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, Jesus says in John 14 and John 15, he says that the Spirit guides you into all truth. He'll bring to remembrance all the teachings of Christ. And ultimately what the Spirit does is he testifies to and even exudes and exemplifies the ministry of the risen Christ. So this can be said. Jesus Christ, who is physically seated at the right hand of the Father because he has has come, he has lived, he has died, he has resurrected, and now bodily ascended, bodily resurrected, and bodily ascended to the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is physically present at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus Christ, by virtue of the ministry of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spiritually present with who? Wherever the Holy Spirit is present, the spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is also present by virtue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So all that to say, God is omnipresent, and Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead, is uniquely even present, not just in his omnipresence, but uniquely present with all believers in all places at all times. Not just when we gather together on the Lord's Day, not, not, not just in church, but, but if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the spiritual presence of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, his spiritual presence is with you by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit is with you and the Holy Spirit is guaranteed to be with all those who trust in Jesus because of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. All that theological framework to make this point. If you're a Christian, Jesus is present with you. So what in the world does Jesus mean in Matthew 18 where he says, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Because it seems, that statement seems to discount the fact that Jesus is present with a a Christian by virtue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even if they're alone. Right? If a Christian is, is persecuted and taken captive and placed in prison, Jesus is present. When, 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 when Peter was imprisoned before the earthquake came and, and the angel who let him out, Jesus, well, actually that's, yeah, Jesus. I was thinking timeline. Was, was this during Jesus' earthly ministry? No, it's after. He's resurrected and ascended. So the spiritual presence of Jesus is with Peter by virtue of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is not gathered with any other believers. He's completely alone. So when Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am present, we must We must exegete that to mean that Jesus is uniquely present, that there is something special, a a greater degree, a heightened heightened blessing, a greater blessing, a more profound sense of the presence of Jesus when we come together. He's always present even when we're alone by virtue of the Holy Spirit, but he's uniquely present when we gather together. 
And David, all that back to our text, David recognizes this. He recognizes that there is a uniqueness, there is a sweetness to the presence of God that, that is uniquely belonging exclusively to the assembly, the people of God. And so therefore, if he is cut off from Israel and cut off from the tabernacle and cut off from the people of God and the praise of God, he is therefore cut off effectively, at least in one sense, from the presence of God. That doesn't mean in every sense. If David thought he was cut off from God in every sense, there would be no sense in him praying our text today. Why pray to God if, if you're completely separated from his presence? And David, who wrote Psalm 63, is the same David who also said, where can I go from your presence? Right? Whether I'm in the, in the depths of Sheol or whether I'm cast into the sea, there is nowhere that I could go that I would be cut off from your presence. So David recognizes the omnipresence of God, but David also recognizes the unique sweetness of the presence of God that exclusively belongs to the assembly of God's people. In other words, you cannot merely worship God with a worship CD in your car or live streaming a sermon and say that it is a sufficient substitute to the church. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.